for the influence that you have on our hearts. I want to thank you for the life that you've come to bring us. I want to thank you for the abundance of joy that you've come to pour out on man. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak powerfully through me. And Lord, thank you that you clearly communicate your message through me today. That each one of us can walk away here established and empowered by your resurrection power unto the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. I'm just going to move this a little bit out of the way. Right. Um, tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the vengeance of God, the anger of God, and how that works and fits into the New Testament. And how does it fit a loving God? You know, we've got, I remember a time when I was um, in Newark and I was on a train somewhere there and there was a guy sitting across a table from me and, uh, you know, and, and another guy next to me and I started to speak to the guy next to me and um, I asked him, you know, what do you do for a living and that kind of a thing and he said he imports wine from um, the Cape Town area. I said, oh, I'm from the Cape Town area. You know, and uh, we could speak, and he visited our neighboring town many times. I mean, I mean, what a coincidence to meet a guy there. And he asked me what I do, and I said to him, I've come to, to minister the gospel. He says, okay, he's a Christian, and he's in a certain church, and, and he started to speak a little bit. And when I, when I said, I'm here to preach the gospel, the guy on the other side of the table, which we, I haven't even spoken a word to him, he just says, oh, I don't want to any, hear anything about God. Just like that. You know, so, I mean, if you want to make a statement like that, I'm going to ask you to explain why. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, so I said to him, why? He says he cannot believe in a God that gets angry with people that commit a sin and just wants to kill them. I said, well, I also, then I'm also an atheist because I also don't believe in such a God. You know, I cannot trust such a God. And he went on about how wrong God is. And what it was all about was actually a wrong understanding of God. And then I said to him, you know what? Uh, you think you're running from God. But you're actually obeying God. Because he says he's not going to go to any church or whatever. I said, you are, you are obeying God. Because God told you that what you've heard about him is not the truth. And you have obeyed it. I mean, if you even have faith with actions. You know, you believe and do. I said, you think you're running from God, but you are actually obeying God because God told you, that's not me, and you don't need to believe that. And then you went from Him and it was an inner voice. It wasn't a scripture or anything like that. It was an inner voice. The only thing you need to do now is to hear who God really is. And then I explained to him about the innocence of mankind and what Christ has done. And he moved from an atheist to believer in about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Because when he heard the truth, he said, I can believe in that God. You know, and he says, what's your website? I want to go and listen to your messages. I mean, I've had that happen many times in meeting strangers, be it on a train or an airplane or somewhere and just speaking, speaking the gospel about the goodness and the love and the kindness of God. Yet in the church, um, in, and I, I don't want to bash the church. You know, we, um, just before the service I spoke to somebody about, you know, we, we talked about um, 
different, you know, just different views. And you get views where people get hurt in church and then they bash church. You know, church, listen, man, thank God for the church. Thank God for people that at least they felt a passion in their heart. Maybe the doctrine wasn't correct, but we felt the love that there is in their hearts. And they came and they reached out and preached. I mean, I got saved in the Dutch Reformed Church when there was a gospel outreach with somebody that preached good news, but the message was kind of good news, but this guy only got the grace message not too long ago that led me to the Lord. So I'm not going to be angry with the church. I'm not going to bash the church. Thank God, you know, we, as our relationship with the Lord grows and we start to see more, you know, we, it doesn't help we... We just hate everything that was before us. I mean, um, as Peter was talking about what was preached in the church, I sat there and I realized I was one of they that preached the law. <laughs> I was one. <laughs> I did it. Peter did it. We did it. And we did it 90% uh, of the time in our ignorance. Amen. So when I'm talking about things here tonight, please don't see me, me as... Um, against a church or the church is because I love the church that I'm preaching this message. And we want the church to grab a hold of this and receive the experience freedom. You know, amen. I think it was just like the Apostle Paul. You know, he, he loved the Jews and he wanted to preach to the Jews. He says, I would even be myself accursed for my brethren's sake. Yeah, so, um, that is my heart. Now, when we talk about the vengeance of God, I want to read um, Isaiah 61. And we're going to talk about the vengeance of God. And when we talk about the vengeance of God, you need to understand whenever you talk about anything that belongs to God, it needs to, it needs to look like God. You know, um, we, on the way here, we saw a guy in a chef pickup truck. And, uh, you know, the exhaust was like the, this little chef badge, you know, on the exhaust, and the thing was shining and everything. You know, you could see how he feels about that old pickup truck. He likes that thing. And you're not going to convince him of a Ford. That you know. It is in, you can see that in him. And when you come to his house, you might see a little chef pickup truck and all those kind of things. And you will see in his house and how he goes about that, that is who he is. It's seen. Who he is will be seen in everything. If he's a perfectionist, you're going to see it in everything he does. And how he keeps his house and how he does his, you know, cleans his car and everything. You will see it belongs to that person. In the very same way with God. If we say that God is love and we look at the vengeance of God, it must be flooded with the love of God. Otherwise it is not God's vengeance. It doesn't belong to him. If you look at my children, you will see, you can see it's Bertie's children. Why? Because they look like me. It's not me, but they look like me. They're born from me. In the very same way, we talk about the vengeance of God. It must be something that's born from God, that's got the attributes of God, that can be assigned to a loving, caring person. Now you might say, Bertie, but that doesn't make sense. You know, we, we've had this thing that you get the vengeance of God, which is the one side of God, and then you get the love of God, which is the other side. Or you would get the love of God on the one side and then the righteous uh, justice side of God on the other side. Now, I don't see, and in, in, in my view of the gospel, I don't see that God has got two sides. 
A person with two sides is called two-faced. Isn't it? He's two-faced, double-minded. Now, God is not like that. And we, we had a picture of God as a God that is angry, a God that is um, uh, 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 upset. You know, there's a, there's a book that, I, that you guys can read. I don't preach it as the gospel, but there are many scriptures outside of the Bible um, which is part of the Jewish oral tradition, which we can read upon and just see what the Jews believed. Now, there's a book called the first and second book of Adam and Eve. You guys can go and read that. Google it, get it, it's for free, read it. It is just what the Jews believed Adam and Eve's encounter was um, with God after they were put out of the garden. And um, like I said, I don't preach it as Bible, I don't preach it as the Scriptures, but it is interesting to see that Adam and Eve, every time they had an encounter with God, and if any time when something bad happened, they said it was God that caused it. And then God would come every time to Adam and Eve and show to him it wasn't him. And how he saves them from that. And how he sets them free from that. And we see the very same pattern in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So many things that was bad was assigned to God. It is God that's bad. It's God that brought all of this over us. And then here God comes and His Word, His message on Himself comes and manifests among us and we see a God that harms no one. A, a God that's not against people but that want to save people. We see a God, you know, in the Old Testament view we have about God is you wrong God like this, He's going to kill you. And here God comes to the earth and He manifests as God and while they are nailing Him to the cross, He prays for those that nails Him. And brings the true picture of who God is. You know, I, I, I say it this way, um, and I think it's the safest way to settle your heart before God. I don't care what scripture anybody brings. If it contradicts the manifested Word of God, which doesn't need Hebrew or Greek or any of those interpretations, which is a simple manifestation of how God treated sinners, who God is, how He life, loves, and how He would actually give His life to save those that die instead of kill people, then I'm going to say to you, listen, I might not understand how that Scripture links in with this truth, so let us just put it aside until God reveals how it links in with this truth. That's how I think is a safe way to look at Scripture. Amen. Did Jesus Christ kill anybody who disobeyed Him when He was on the earth? No. <laughs> Nobody. Even Peter that denied Him three times. You know what he said to Peter in John 13? He said, Peter... You are going to... He said, Lord, I will die to be where you are. So what he was actually saying is, I, by giving up my life, will have a place in heaven. That's what he was saying. I, by my doing, will create a place for myself with you in heaven. And then Jesus said to Peter, You think that you're going to save your life by dying with me today? Let me tell you something. You're going to deny me three times. 
And if you read it, chapter 13 and 14 in one setting, this is what it says. It says, you're going to deny me three times, but don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and also believe in me. Isn't it? So what he's saying is, you want to die to be where I am, why don't you just trust me to prepare a place for you and take you where I am? Amen. Isn't that what John 14 says? Yes. That is to somebody that Jesus knows is going to deny him. What Jesus was scared, Jesus was scared that, that, that something would destroy Peter. He was saying to Peter, you know, he was not, he, the, the reason why he corrected Peter was he was scared that Peter would lose his life. That's why I said to Peter, don't try and save your life by your own sacrifice. Just believe in me. Your heart is troubled, Peter. Your heart is troubled with works. Your heart is troubled with your sacrifice to try and create a place by your own sacrifice. Your heart's troubled with that. And I want to heal your troubled heart. So here the Lord comes and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but the issue to me is not that you'll deny me. The issue is your troubled heart that I want to restore. Can I just have some water, please? Uh, so that is what God has in mind for us. So in the presence of the people that said to him, you remember Jesus came and he said, um, they said to Jesus, you want to go through a certain town? And then they said he's not allowed to go through. And I mentioned this last night and this morning, I think, briefly. What, what happened? They said, Jesus, well, you know, these, the, these guys don't want you to go through... Um, These guys don't want you to go through their town, so um, since they don't want you, can we kill them? Because that is the way they understood God. Well, if you don't want God to come through there, then God will kill you. And they even had a scripture. Quoted what, 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 Isaiah, uh, uh, quoted what Elijah did. Shall we call fire like Elijah? And listen to what Jesus says. Those that don't want to accept me, I have not come to kill them. Come on. You might say, Bertie, are you preaching that nobody's going to go to hell? <laughs> I, <clears throat> I do believe that not everybody will be saved. I do believe that. I believe, believe in the in eternal destruction of those that don't believe in Jesus Christ. I do believe that. So I'm not a universalist. I'm not saying everybody's going to be saved. I just think that we need to look at how God will deal with unbelievers, how God will deal with sinners, and what God's heart is, because when we can see that, we will be able to believe in Him and trust in Him, and, and our hearts will give, uh, 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 open up so that He can have access to our lives, because we cannot trust somebody that just wants to kill those who don't listen to Him. Who of you can trust somebody? I'm talking about trust with your life. Somebody that you know, if you do anything wrong according to His law, doesn't matter if you're friend or foe, His righteousness demands your death. Will you trust Him? Come on, people, we need to look at these things. You know, a lot of atheists and a lot of uh, 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 people that got hurt in church uh, raised some legitimate questions. And we should answer these questions in the light of the gospel. And if we don't know, like we've heard last night, we ask God and give Him time to answer us.
Amen. And I do believe that I've got some answers, not all, but some. So when we look at Isaiah 61, we're going to look at some of the attributes of the vengeance of God. Isaiah 61. It says here, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, and He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. You know that this was quoted in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus said, and He read that passage, and He said, the, In your hearing today, this scripture is fulfilled. So Jesus came and He said, the Spirit of God, another word for Spirit of God is basically the throne room atmosphere. If you want to call the Spirit of God. The atmosphere in the Godhead. How God is, the very Spirit of God. If you look at Josh singing here in front, you can feel His Spirit. Isn't it? I mean, you can know what the, the, the Spirit of God is, and you can know the Spirit that is on the man. Who he just is as a person. Who he would be at home and who he would be in the street and without preaching or anointed. Just him as a person. You can feel his spirit. Now God comes, Jesus comes, he says, you know, the spirit of God is on me. That's why I'm talking good to everybody. That is why I am here, I'm here preaching good tidings to the meek. I'm not telling the meek or the poor, you know, well, you are the curse of God. I'm, I'm bringing good news to them. I'm bind up the brokenhearted. I'm here to heal belief systems and hearts that's broken by religion and law. I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who've been caught by legalism and law and caught up by a system where they are bound to the fruit of the flesh, bound to bear the fruit of the flesh, and where they want to do good but can't. I've come to, to, to declare liberty and the opening of prison to them. That's what I'm busy with. And then he explains, because if you read the King James there, at the end of verse 1, there's a semicolon. That semicolon goes on to explain in more detail what he meant in the first verse. And he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That word acceptable year is, like you guys know, the year of jubilee. Wherein everybody's debt was written off and where you could get back to your original land. So what he was saying is, he was saying, I'm here to declare that your debt is written off and that you can go back to your original land, which had nothing to do with Jerusalem and all those kind of things, but had everything to do with the original land that God planned for man before man fell. The place of immortality, the place where man lives above sin, the place where, where we are the dwelling place of God, where there is no death, no sin, glorification and all of that. I've come to proclaim that we can go back there. I've actually come to proclaim the innocence of man. It says here, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, if you read the Afrikaans translation, um, it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and then the word and is not there. Neither is the word and in the Hebrew. It says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. Now, how can the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God be the same thing? Now let us just read a little bit on to see what effect the declaration of the day of vengeance will have on people. 
Let me read verse 2 again. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. And let's see what vengeance will do. To comfort all who mourn. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just reading Bible there. The, you know what we've said? We've said that Jesus quoted that verse and he stopped in front of the vengeance and that means that the vengeance was still to come. But if, but if we want to stop there and we say Jesus stopped there, then we must also say that Jesus brought no comfort. We must also say, say that there is no more um, for those who mourn beauty for ashes. There's no oil of joy for mourning. There's no garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There's no thing that we can be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Because that's what the next verse says. Did Jesus come and bring beauty for ashes? Yeah, He did. So, now let's read it again. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God, for what purpose? To comfort all who mourn. To appoint unto those who mourn, and going through a hard time, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness. So what had to take place, vengeance had to come in order for us to be called the trees of righteousness. Now the way we've seen vengeance is, you know, God sits in heaven, He's given His Son, there's His Son, but He reserved the vengeance part. So, He's given His Son. Jesus took the punishment for sin. He took all those kind of things because God was actually kind of upset and then He punished Jesus. After He punished Jesus, He still reserved a certain kind of a vengeance for those who wouldn't accept Jesus. And then He will now come later on and punish again. That is, that is kind of, if you want to put our theories together, And you can go and read the rest of Isaiah 61. It talks about how God has come to give life to man in Jesus Christ. Now, okay, so we see there that the vengeance of God will be unto the bringing of comfort. Now, if we go and read Isaiah 41, let us read Isaiah 41. Sorry, Isaiah 40, 40. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. So it says that the day that vengeance will come and that through that vengeance the people will be comforted. And here it speaks to Jerusalem, and I also believe it speaks prophetically about mankind, that mankind had a war. What was our battle? What was our war? We want to do good, but we can't, because we are bound under sin and death. And now it says that He has come, and He has, uh, and He says, Comfort Jerusalem, speak comfortably to her, say to her that her warfare is over, over, that her iniquity is pardoned. Now I cannot uh, again preach on what I preached last, or the night before. You know, or that, that after, yesterday the afternoon, explaining what forgiveness is. You guys um, 
man, I'm sorry. But forgiveness means, doesn't mean I'm not angry with you. It means to deliver you from your oppression. That's what it means. It says, your iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for her sins. Now, the way we see that is, you know, God has punished us double. God has punished man double for the sin. She received a double payment for her sin. Now, that would be unfair. How could God be just God and double punish? But if you go and read Isaiah 61 verse 7, you see what the double there is. He says, you've received double the blessing for your shame. Amen. So what he's saying is, and we can go to Isaiah 61 verse 7. Just bear with me as we just go through these scriptures and we put everything together. It says, For your shame you shall have double, and for your confusion you shall rejoice in their portion. For your shame you will have double. In the context is, Israel lost their land and they were ashamed because they lost their land. But for their shame, the shame, their iniquity, that they have lost their land, they've received double the land now. That is what he's talking about. Go and study the history of that. And you will see that is what he's saying. He says, comfort the people. Tell them the fact that they are standing ashamed. They've lost everything. It's over. The war is over. The slavery is over. God has declared the year of jubilee. You can go back to your land. You've received double the blessing. That is what God has brought in Christ. He says, it is the day of the vengeance of our God. Amen. Now, let's go and look at um, Malachi 4. And we're going to look at this vengeance of God. This is what it says. Malachi 4 verse 1. For behold, the day comes... Now he's talking about the day of the vengeance of God, okay? For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yes, all that that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that comes shall burn it up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Okay? And then verse 5. But I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, now listen. He says, I will send Elijah the prophet before the dreadful day of the Lord. And this dreadful day will burn like an oven. And it will destroy all the stubble and all those that do wickedly and the proud. It will destroy them. Now, this day will happen just after the prophet Elijah has come. You read it, verse 5 again. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Who was Elijah the prophet that came? John the Baptist. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying, listen, there's a dreadful day of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God, which will comfort but this day will burn like an oven, and it will burn away all the stubble and all them that do wickedly. But just before this day dawns, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet. Mm -hmm. Let's read verse 1. 
For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and those who do proud and wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So what is he talking about? He's talking about a tree here. He's talking about roots, he's talking about branches, he's talking about a day wherein these trees shall be burnt up. And it will be burnt up, and this, it is like a sun that will come. You know when a, da a day dawns and the sun comes up, it's like a ball of fire that dawns with this massive heat that's burning. And that's what he's using here. He says, behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. And it will burn up the trees and all that are full of pride and all of that. That's what it says. And then it says in verse 5, just before this day, before this massive heat, this sun comes and burns everything up, I'll send you the prophet Elijah. But listen to what will happen in that day of the vengeance of God. But unto you that fear my name, shall this sun, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. So what is he saying? He's saying there's a massive fire coming. And this fire will burn away all wickedness. And, 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 and every tree that cannot bear fruit, it will burn it away. And those who believe in his name, what does his name mean? That he will save his people from their sins. Those who believe that God is a savior, what will happen to them? They'll find that this very fire, this destroying fire heals them. Isn't that what's written there? Bertie, I'm not sure. Now let's go to Matthew and we look at the Matthew 3. Let's go to Matthew 3. Matthew 3. And we're going to read from verse 6. And now we're looking at John the Baptist. And we're looking at this day now. And we're baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. This is John the Baptist. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to his baptism, who was the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They were those who were full of pride, and they were full of the pride that they are Jews and the others are just Gentiles. They are the people of God and the others are not. They were so full of pride that they are of the stock, you know, of Israel, that they are the Jews. They are the blessed people of God. Full of pride. Like we had in the old South Africa that we had in America, that we had in Canada, and every, everything, you know. Old South Africa, we're full of pride. You know, we are the white. We are, we are the people that developed, you know, uh, 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 satellites, and we thought of this, and we thought of that. But look at these people. What, what, what do they know? You know, that's pride. And here we see the same pride in the Jews. Because the Jews had the greatest pride and the greatest racism. I'm sorry, I'm not here to be politically correct. I'm here to say how it was. And they thought, we are the people of God. We have the law. These other fellows, they've got nothing. God doesn't even talk to them. God calls them dogs. They cursed. We have a writing in the very finger of God. God spoke to us. We are His people. And all these people here, all these heathen nations, they shall be our slaves. And we shall rule the earth as the Jews. That's what they believed. They believed that. And they were walking with that pride in their heart. And that pride was found in their flesh, in Judaism. Okay? And here when many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to his baptism, he said, O generation of vipers. Do you see he declares them as the wicked? He says, generation of vipers. 
you that are generated from the snake. Okay? Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. So he said, basically said to them, you guys don't even know about this wrath coming. Who's warned you? Nobody's warned you. I want to warn you about the wrath to come. You need to bring forth fruit unto repentance, showing a change in your mind. And listen to this. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children of Abraham. And now also the axe is laid at the root of the trees. For every tree which brings not fruit shall be cut down and cast into the fire. He's quoting Malachi 4. Being fulfilled in John. He's saying, guys, let me tell you something. There's a tree that cannot bear fruit. And that is the tree where you say, we are the Jews, they are the Gentiles, we live by the law, and by this law we will have life. That tree cannot bear fruit. That tree cannot save man from sin and death. And I want to tell you, there's a wrath coming towards the Judaism legalism system where I'm going to cut out the law. And I want to cut out this tree. The axe is at the root, meaning this tree is being chopped out. And here John starts chopping at that tree. And he says, don't say in yourself that we have Abraham as our father. Chopping out the whole thing. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. Here is that axe now. Boom. Where is he be? He's chopping on what? He's chopping that root, the root from where the Jews thought that they had life. And you know what? All the nations drank of her fornication. Even the Gentiles said, we're not the people of God because they are the people of God. They believed the lie with the Jews. So God was chopping at that thing. He said, I'm going to chop it out. And this fire that is going to come is going to destroy the understanding that a certain nation are the nation of God and that they are the people of God in their flesh. But that the people of God is all of mankind and all of mankind, those that believe, shall be saved from sin and death. Amen. Those that don't believe will enter eternal destruction. And he wanted to come and chop that thing out. God wanted. Now this is what he's saying here. Who has, he says, don't say that you have Abraham as your father. The axe is laid upon the roots. Therefore every tree that does not bring forth good fruit is chopped down. What, trees, what tree doesn't bring forth good fruit? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says that we can be called the trees of righteousness. But they, they are a tree, they are a life in this world that cannot bring forth fruit, that cannot help any other nations, that cannot because they, are, they find their life in their own flesh. They find their life in obedience to laws. And God has come with a great fire to burn it all out. And you know how He burnt it out? God came and He befriended the sinners. And everything they believed to be true, God came and proved wrong. 
Now let me explain it to you. I've got a book there in the back called Jesus is the Tithe. Now, a, a little bit of an explanation. There was a tree that was in this world for many years and is still standing in certain places, which says, if you don't give God 10% of your money, then God can never bless you. Okay? But now, there's a fire burning in the earth. That is, like Deb says there, the unquenchable fire. You cannot stop that fire. It will burn and burn and burn. And you can come and preach against it. You can do whatever you want. If a little fire is started in a forest with dry leaves, you know what's going to happen? You cannot stop it. There is a wind behind it, which is God's power and His authority, and it is burning. And you know what? If I take a book like that, or if I stand in a, in a church or on a, uh, the platform in the world, and I preach, Jesus is the tithe. He is the manna that had to come to the storehouse. He is the meat that came to the house of God. He is the... the he says, my flesh is meat indeed. And He says, bring the tithe that can be meat in my house. It was prophesying to Christ that He had to bring His body to the earth, that people can eat his body, that there can be meat in his house, which is us, that there can be a window open that we can be blessed with eternal life. Amen. That's what it's saying. And when that truth comes, who can resist that wisdom? No one. It is a fire. <laughs> it is burning. And that's what the Bible says. You will, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. You will be baptized with the very life of God inside you, and that life inside you will destroy all lies and every tree that cannot bear fruit. You know, tithing cannot bear the fruit of generosity. Let me say it again. Tithing cannot make any man generous. And God is not threatened by the tithing teaching. He's just seeing that people are trying by a certain system to bear fruit that is for free, and the system doesn't even bring forth the fruit. It leaves His people wanting, stressing, not sleeping at night, always confessing, not having a mind at rest, and God says, that's not right. That is not right. And I am going to destroy that wickedness. I've got a, I'm coming in with a vengeance. A very good example, uh, uh, um, bear with me those who have heard this before, but you know, years ago we've had that eight-track tape, you know, that cassette that we used in the cars. I remember my dad had an old Toyota Corolla with that thing in it. Man, he was more busy trying to fix that thing than what he could listen to music. And if it was a very hot day and the car was outside and the tape was inside that thing and you accidentally started, then... It's all like, you know how the thing goes. And then they, they had the normal cassette with the smaller one. And then it was still a struggle. And then somebody came and says, it is not righteous that the souls of men is vexed with this tape. Isn't it? He says, my people are struggling. They are, they are not having peace. They are struggling. Let me bring forth a CD. <laughs> and the CD came in with a vengeance. 
and it burned up the tape industry. <laughs> because the tape industry's tree could not bear the fruit of peaceful music. Therefore, he said, let me chop out this tree. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God was looking at the earth and he says, an injustice is being done to my people. The devil is having a heyday and he is killing my people. He's destroying my people with lies. He's telling them I'm angry. I'm commanding all these things. He's telling them I cannot love sinners. And you know what? There's a day where God is going to declare the truth. Then he said, John the Baptist came and he says, just before the dreadful day of the Lord that will burn like a sun, it will be called the sun of righteousness, the day of the righteous vengeance of God. When he comes in and he says, this is not right. That people who has been made to live forever, have peace and joy, who's been designed to be in fellowship with me, live as slaves, have a mindset that I am a dictator, I've come to destroy that. And I'm coming in with a vengeance. And you know how it started. Remember what I preached about John the Baptist when he was baptized? He was baptized with the baptism of a sinner. The baptism of repentance. So when John was baptized with the baptism of when, when Jesus was baptized by John. I mean sinners went and was baptized. There. Here John comes, he's baptized. Oh, Jesus comes, baptized by John. And what happens? He's baptized into the sin of the whole world. And the first voice comes that was burning up the tree. And a voice came from heaven when Jesus stood up out of that water with all sin upon him. And the voice came from heaven that said, my beloved son. And it was burning away lies right there. Bam. The tree's being chopped. Because that tree of being afraid of God cannot bear fruit. The tree of always fearing God in a, in a negative way, and I'm talking about fear of being afraid, not in the sense of fear that the Old Testament talks about having respect for or reverence for, but being afraid of, you cannot have life by being afraid. You cannot have life by trying to obey laws. And here God comes and He's already showing the first thing. And Jesus from there, as the Bible says in Leviticus 16, walked away into the desert signifying that the sin of the world is upon the head of the scapegoat. Okay, walked into the desert, Leviticus 16. Fulfilling Leviticus 16. Showing what? Showing, talking about the vengeance of God now. I don't know, Bertie. Let's look at more scripture. Let's read. Let's just read a little bit of Matthew again. On he says, And think not to save yourselves that we have Abraham as our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up Abraham as father. Right there, he chopped out the whole Judaism, Abrahamic lineage thing. That tree's gone. Okay, next. And now also the axe is laid on the root of the tree, and therefore every tree which brings not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Like I said, the tree of tithing, the tree of works righteousness, the tree of trying to bind the devil over every town, and all those things, it's, it's just being chopped out. 
I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. In other words, I baptize you, I'm telling you, repent, you know, um, change your mind, believe in the Messiah to come. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. But he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather the wheat into the garner and will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. So what are you talking about? He says, listen, I've come and I'm going to burn up the chaff. Now, what is the, what is the chaff? You know, when you get the grain of wheat, there's a chaff around it. So we found in the Old Testament legalistic system was first. And then the seed is inside that. And there comes a time where we want to make use of the seed. We don't need the chaff anymore. The Bible says that the law was a schoolmaster unto Christ. So this chaff now, the time of the chaff is gone. The seed is coming forth. And that is Christ bearing His fruit in His people. And that which has housed this truth in the old is now the time has come for it to be burnt away. And it will be with an unquenchable fire. And what he's saying is he started that fire and then afterwards he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay? Now when John the... I mean, we're always looking for a physical fire on our flame and then we know that now you've got a real baptism. You know what, it, what actually happened, if you want to talk, the, the people when they spoke in tongues, that were, it seems like flames that came onto their heads. That was a sign for these people that heard these words to know that this is what Jesus was talking about. And then later on, that very same Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles and then the whole circumcision teaching was burnt up. Because all of a sudden, this Spirit is now poured out on the Gentiles. When the Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles, the teaching of you need to be circumcised and baptized to receive the Holy Spirit is now all of a sudden burnt up. Thank you, Jesus. By the vengeance of God. Hosea 13, verse 13. Let's look at the vengeance of God. God was tired that His people are dying. He was tired that these people were under a place where they cannot bear fruit. Just make sure I'm getting the right translation here. He says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plague. O grave, I will be your destruction. And repentance shall be hid from my eyes. Must I read it again? He says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. So I will buy them back from dying. And I will give them eternal life. I will redeem them from death. And then he comes and he declares what is his enemy. And he declares the plagues. He comes and he says, O death, I will be your plague. O grave, I will be your destruction. So what God is saying is, I'm coming in with a vengeance and this is my judgment. I am judging against sin and death. I'm destroying death. I am plaguing death. Do you know how God plagued death? He rose a man 
that died with the sin of the world on his shoulders from the grave. And when he rose him up, he was really plaguing death now with life. He was plaguing the grave. And he came in judgment against what destroys his people. He's come to give life. He's come to bring freedom. He's come to bring redemption. He's come to show the love of God to man. So, whenever we think of the vengeance of God, and even if we think of the end time vengeance, you know, we've had this thing that Jesus came to the earth. Now, if you want to ask me exactly how the end time vengeance will look, I want to tell you this. When Jesus came and started a fire, an unquenchable fire on the earth, that's burning every, up every form of legalism and law and everything that cannot bring forth fruit, that fire is here and it started to burn with this in mind, I'm going to burn up death. I'm going to destroy what kills my people. I'm going to destroy what, 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 what causes people to be bound by sin. I'm going to destroy that. I'm going to destroy the wrong belief they had about me. I'm going to destroy the power of the devil. What does the Bible says? say? It says the ministration of death was written on stones. The Bible says um, the power of sin is the law. And what has He come to do? He's come to destroy all those things that's killing His people. He's come to destroy what He's doing wickedly. He's come to destroy pride. What is pride? To boast in your flesh. To boast in human ability to, uh, to, uh, to, to please God by your own works or to have access to eternal life by your own works. He's come to destroy that. How did He destroy that? By showing to people you can take all sin and put it on one man and he can die in that sin believing in the Father and the Father will raise him up. Amen. What a fire that is so unquenchable that it shall not stop until all the stubble, all the chaff is burnt up. That which is not needed, but only that which can bring forth good fruit. Now, end time. That fire will continue to burn. And the Bible says, until death is swallowed up. Isn't it? And death shall be swallowed up in this victory. That is the vengeance of our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, excuse this. Please excuse, but I'm going to say this. We've got a real badass God, man. He can destroy. He can dis My God can even kill death, man. He's real bad. He's bad. I mean, if you look at the devil, and you look at legalism, and you come with this message, you will say, they will say, that's bad. That's real bad. That's going to kill us. That's going to destroy us. What are they thinking? That is hatred towards us. Isn't it? That's what will be said if you want to bring this into legalism or law or men or where God's people are under control. Controlled by systems and that. When you bring this in, they will say, this is really bad. This is a fire. This is, we must try and stop this. It's too late. Amen. It's too late. It's burning in the earth. Even if you kill me for what I say, it's too late. Yeah. 
There are thousands of people all over the world where God is starting this fire in their heart and it's burning for 2,000 years. And I want to tell you, it will continue to burn until death is swallowed up in the victory wherein we see the graves open up, people stand up, their bodies immortal, the glory of God in man on the earth where we will see this creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God where God in His vengeance will come and manifest who we really are. Don't be fooled by what you see in your life. God knows who you are. And the Bible says we are waiting for God to manifest the sonship in us. And we patiently wait. There's a fire burning. Amen. I want to explain this fire. And I'm going to end off with Luke 16. Where it talks about Lazarus and the rich man. You know Lazarus and the rich man? I mean, that's the definite teaching that that fire is God's anger and is going to burn you in hell. <laughs> Let's see what Lazarus the rich man says. Remember again, I'm not saying, if you want to experience hellfire, my brother, resist the message of God's love. God will not destroy you you will self-destruct. <laughs> Ministries that's not built in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm not judging them or condemning them or anything. I'm just, I'm not even giving a prophetic word. I'm just sharing, sharing logic with you. God is bringing forth this. I love my people. I will win their hearts by my goodness. I will live within them. I will manifest the, my, their sonship. I will bring forth good fruit in them. It will actually not be called their good works, but fruit of my love for them. That's what's called fruit of the Spirit. will bring it forth in them. I will build my church. Not us. We cannot build the church. Stop trying to build the kingdom. My gosh, isn't he the one? The Bible says there's no end to his kingdom. He shall establish his kingdom. Hands off, man. Let God be busy with what he's doing. Can we not get to a place where we can just believe him and just trust him? Well, I say, God, I'm sitting with this in my life. I'm sitting with that in my life. But I want to know, I know that if I struggle with my wife and I, we're always fighting. My children and I, we misunderstanding. I'm saying glory to God. Even if it is the is so, there's a fire burning. And God has got vengeance against this misunderstandings, against uh, uh, sexual immorality, against fear for money, and all those kind of things. And I'm just saying, God, if I could have stopped it in my own life, I would have. But I know your fire is burning and you're taking vengeance against every wrong belief that there is in my heart and you take vengeance and I thank you that you baptized me with your fire with your vengeance and you as what you baptized the Israelites when they went through the through the Red Sea you baptized them you know what what did you do they, they were baptized you know into going into a new place but what happened to the Egyptians they all died the man that offended got a millstone around his neck and was cast into the depth of the ocean. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about the lawman that offends. What offends? That word offend doesn't mean to upset. It means that cause to stumble. What brings us to stumble? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's better that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil man puts a millstone around his neck 
and be cast into the depth of the ocean. What did the Israelites hear whenever God said, be buried in the depth of the ocean? What was in their minds? Israel going through the Red Sea and then those Egyptians being buried in the depth of the sea. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he came and he buried, he buried uh, uh, what oppressed man. He buried sin consciousness and he led us out to a place where manna falls from heaven, which is the body of Jesus Christ, which we can eat. Glory, glory to God. That's what he's done. Where he is the pillar of fire at night and where he is the cloud in the day and he's leading us to the promised land, which is our immortality and an undying body in, in, in Christ's manifestation in his return. Which is the promised land. You have to listen to this again. There's too much information there. Like I said, it's 20 years the Lord took to teach me these things. And I'm giving it in an hour. Yes. Amen. So, what about the rich man and Lazarus? Luke. 16. Now, if you start at chapter 15, you will see that there was a parable. Jesus comes and he befriended sinners. And then people started to complain a bit because he befriended sinners. And then he started talking parables. And he said, you know, there was, he started to talk about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and uh, then the, 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 prodigal son, and he went on to talk about the, um, the unjust steward. And then he comes, and now he's talking about um, the rich man and Lazarus. And all the others we say are parables, but the rich man and Lazarus, we say it's not a parable. We say it is a real man, because the Bible says a certain rich man, and it also called the name of a man called Lazarus. And because a name was called, that means that it wasn't a parable, but a certain person that was in the judgment of God in the end time when he was burning in hell and there was a gnashing of teeth and the fire was torturing him in his tongue and he was struggling. That's what we say. But I've got, if you want to just look at that, I've got some questions about that theory which I want to put to you tonight. If we say that the rich man, or let, let's read the parable to refresh our minds, and then we'll go to different points. It says, there was a certain rich man which clothed in purple and in linen, and lived uh, richly every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gates full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried, uh, the beggar died, and was the beggar died and was carried by the angel into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So both of them died. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being tormented. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may, lift, may dip his tongue, uh, dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, now when, just like this, when Abraham tells you, Son, Who's he talking about? If Abraham says, son, talking about the Jews. Okay, we will explain that. 
But Abraham said, son, remember, you in your lifetime received all the good things, and likewise Lazarus the evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Okay, so what caused this person to go to hell? Just the fact that he was rich. And what caused Lazarus to go to heaven? Or the bosom of Abraham? Just the fact that he was poor. I mean, if you want to read scripture, you need to read it. You, you, can't, you, you can't do what we call um, uh, eisegesis, which means you are reading things into the text which is not written there. Uh, exegesis means you are taking out of the text what's written in it. Eisegesis means you are putting into the text what's not there. So we have taken this text and we have said, well, the rich man, you know, he went to, uh, uh, the, the rich man, he went to hell, and that is those that don't want to believe in Jesus, they're going to burn in hell. But that's not what that scripture says. That scripture says just because he was rich. Isn't that what it says? Just because he was rich, he went to hell. And the poor guy, just because he was suffering. So with that, we can, stand a brand new, we can start a brand new teaching. All beggars go to heaven and all rich people go to hell. If you want to make it physical, if you want to make it as it's written there physical, we must conclude that every rich man will go to hell and every beggar will go to heaven. That's what we need to say. And we can conclude that if you suffer on the earth, you will go to heaven. And if you have a nice life on the earth, you will go to hell. Now let me explain a little bit of this. You remember there was a woman, a Greek woman, a Syrophoenician woman. And she had a daughter that had a demon. And then she came to Jesus and said to Jesus, you know, she called out to Jesus. And then Jesus walked as if he didn't hear her. Okay? And then he continued to walk and continued to walk. And then eventually the disciples thought they had a revelation. Let us chase her away. And then Jesus went on and says, it's not right to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. Okay. Then, then the saying of those days was mentioned by this Greek lady. And she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that falls from the master's table. Now, back to Lazarus and the rich man. At the gate of the rich man's house, was a man called Lazarus, and he wished that he could get some of the crumbs that fell from the master's table. Who does it talk about? Gentiles. The Gentiles. And the rich guy is talking about the Jews. I'm not saying all the Jews are going to hell. It's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that now. What he's trying to say is there was a rich man clothed in white and in purple or blue talks about the, the Levites, the priests, and the kings. Who were the priests and the kings? It talks about the Jewish system. It talks about the descendants of Abraham, wherein the Levitical priesthood was standing. And then there was a guy at the gate, which was not inside this place, where they had all the law, and where they were feed, fed by God, like the Jews were. The Jews thought that they were rich, for they had all the oracles of God. They were rich in their communication with God. And they were the Gentiles, wishing to get some crumbs that falls from the master's table. So who's the master here? 
It's seen as the Jewish nation with everything they have and the Messiah they expected. We just want a little bit of the crumbs. And there was a guy named Lazarus. You know Lazarus? The name Lazar Lazarus is the name Eliaser. Eliaser was the servant of Abraham. When Abraham and Sarah lived, they had a servant. That servant was called Eliaser or Lazarus. So it was somebody that was under the blessing of Abraham, yet he was not a descendant of Abraham. And who's that? That's the Gentiles. That's all. So what God was trying to say to the Jews is, listen guys, I want to tell you something. There's going to come a time when a fire is going to burn. And you guys that find your righteousness by your works and by your ethnicity is going to burn you up. I felt that fire in South Africa when the apartheid system was ending. Isn't it? It was burning us up. We had the whole world putting sanctions against us and we just saw a fire burning and you know what we, will have to, what we had to do? We had to go and realize we've been wrong, we've oppressed God's people, we had to go and apologize, we had the truth and reconciliation, we had to reconcile and you know what? For some of those guys that didn't want to repent, who wanted to continue to call upon their white skin, it was a pain for them, it's still a pain for them today. It's like an eternal fire when they are tortured every day when they see black people are getting the jobs and they're not getting the jobs. When affirmative action is in South Africa, the affirmative action is killing the white man. I'm not talking about racism now. I'm talking about our understanding. You know what we are saying? We are saying it is not just. That guy didn't even qualify. He didn't even qualify, but he's got a much better job than my son that's got an engineering degree. That's not right. And we are burning in the flame of, just, of, of uh, uh, um, affirmative action. Why? But if we could love all people the same, and we can see what's going on, it will not burn us, it will be a joy for us. So here we see the Jews. What happens when the Gentiles are blessed, now they are gnashing with their teeth. No, Bertie, I don't know. Let's, let's read Psalm 112. Verse 10. What is the gnashing of teeth? What is this fire that is burning his tongue? What is all of that? Psalm 110. Oops, I've got it wrong. 112, verse, te uh, verse 10, I think it is. It says... From verse 8, it says, His heart is established, he shall not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, and his horn shall be exalted. Now listen, it talks about it's a prophecy about Jesus. It says that he wants his enemies destroyed. He wants that which oppresses oppressed to be destroyed. And it goes on, it says, He has dispersed, he has given to the poor. 
What did God come and do? Good news was preached to the poor. Who were the poor? Those who didn't have any relation with God. Those who were poor. Those who were seen as the, as the cursed. God came and hanged out amongst them, the sinners. He poured out His Holy Spirit upon the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And He declared that all people are the people of God. And what happened next? It says, His righteousness, His good action will endure forever and His horn shall be exalted. Talking about Jesus. The wicked shall see how this Jesus gives to the poor, and they will be grieved, and they shall gnash with their teeth and melt away. So what is gnashing of teeth? Gnashing of teeth in normal English means spitting mad. Spitting mad. That's gnashing of teeth. Okay, so it says, listen to Psalm 112. It says, a righteous man will come and he will take off what is his and he will give it to the poor. Just like in South Africa, you know. A righteous man comes. Nelson Mandela, F.W. de Klerk. They come and they say, and there were a lot of other people as well. Just one thing about South African politics. I just want to say to you this. Black men didn't have voting rights. It was whites that voted that the blacks must have the country. Just remember that. It is not, we cannot, we cannot have a hatred towards a certain people group. You know, let us see that all people need salvation, all people need freedom, all people need deliverance. And there were a lot of people that were righteous that said, it's not right that these black people's land's taken away from them. It's not right that they are oppressed. And they said, let us give them land. Let us give it back to them. And their righteousness was seen. But the wicked, when they saw this righteous action, what are they doing? They're gnashing with their teeth. They're angry. And that is, I'm not talking about country politics, I'm talking about Christ coming to the earth and He's blessing sinners. And we find that the, the, the Jew calls on Abraham. They didn't even call on God. They call on Abraham. Now let me explain that. You remember it says the Jew died, or it says that the rich man died and Lazarus died. Can you think of a place where the Jew and Gentile died together? In Christ. In Christ all people died. Isn't it? And then after Christ's resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where did the Jews find themselves? Tortured in a flame still calling on Abraham as their father, where John has warned them, don't do that, I'm burning that tree. But the eating are from a tree that's burning. And now they're saying, my tongue is burning. Yes, because you've got the coal of the tree that's burnt away on your tongue. <laughs> You're eating of a tree that's burning. What do you think? Blisters is your portion. <laughs> and they are very upset because look at this. Look at this burning away. Look at it. It cannot be. And the Gentiles, what happened to them? Very carefully, the scripture comes and says, when the Lazarus died, what happened? Angels carried him to the bosom of Abraham. That word angel means pastor or preacher or messenger. 
It talks about the gospel that's preached to the Gentiles and how they came to what God promised Abraham, which was the inheritance. And here the Jews are shouting to the Gentiles, shouting to Abraham, Abraham, tell the Gentiles to at least give a little bit of honor to us, you know, as Jews. That we can still be a little bit comforted in this flame by something that the Gentiles can, can just kind of honor our flesh. He says, no. No, no, no. The law and the prophets are already prophesying about this. You want another sign and another wonder so that you can live by signs and wonders all the time, but I've given you a word already. Last example of this. Here's the rich man, here's a father, he's got two sons. The older and the younger. The older lives a good life, signifying the Jews. The younger goes and he wastes his inheritance, talking about the Gentiles. And then the younger comes back home. And what does the older do? He's gnashing with his teeth. And you know what? He's cast into outer darkness. Why? By the goodness of the Father, casts him into outer darkness. Why? Because he's not in the home. The Bible clearly says he stood outside and he complained. And the father came out into his darkness and said to him, Why are you upset? Your brother who was dead, Gentiles weren't even seen as people of God. They are now alive. Come and feast in this. But he refused and stayed in the darkness outside. So the goodness of God casted him into outer darkness where there was a gnashing of teeth. And in that outer darkness is called the lake of fire, which is the second death, which means if you want to be a part, if you cannot see that God can be good to sinners and if you cannot receive it for free, your life will end into eternal destruction away from God. Eternal death, the second death, whatever you want to call it. Utter destruction. I'm not saying everybody's saved. I'm just saying we need to relook at Scripture. We need to have a relook at what things are. At the end of the day, what I'm trying to explain to you is, can you see that the vengeance of God can be seen as a very good thing, yet a very severe thing for those who want to be saved by their works? In the same as what affirmative action can be a very good thing for a man who doesn't have the ability or the money to go to university. And it can be a very severe thing for those who have worked all their life to get a job. Even with us that has worked hard and studied, just in normal life, if we just see this, there's a pain in our heart. We're saying it's not right. We've worked. My son is in university today. He's studying engineering. I tell you, it's a difficult course. He's suffering, man. And then he can come. And if I don't protect my heart, then another guy that doesn't have a degree, that didn't even finish everything, he gets a very nice job. And my son must work for him. The guy doesn't even know how to answer my son properly. Doesn't know what he's talking about because he has not quali he's not qualified. He's being trained in the job. So eventually he will be trained. 
But if I live by the law of you work, you study, you deserve, and the other one lives by I'm going to be, you suffered and now I'm going to be good to you. You had everything good and it's now your time for suffering. We say, no, that's not right. We are burning in that fire. It's killing us. But that is what God has done. And what can we do? If that's how God is, you just got to accept it. He's good. And He's going to be good. And He's not going to save you by your works. He's going to give it as a free gift. He's going to live in you. He's going to give you eternal life. He's come to take vengeance on whatever destroys His people. He's going to come to give you life. Now, I end up with this. You don't have to believe what I say. You don't have to. I know what it's done for me. I know the peace is given for me. I evangelize. I believe there are people that, that, that will be lost, that don't believe. I, I'm, I'm here on the other side of the world teaching. Some people say, Bertie, this message you know will just cause you not to even want to preach. My gosh, I'm away from home four or five months of the year. I've got a family. I've got three kids. I travel the world preaching the gospel. I make my stuff available for free. Because I want the message out. I don't want people to go lost. I want them to be saved. Neither do I want them to burn in the fire. Neither do I want them not to experience the, uh, the, 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 the resurrection from the dead. I want them to be saved. For I know there are people that will, that's going to go lost. We want them saved. Amen. We are evangelized. Evangelized means good newsing. I'm good newsing all over the world. Every second day, every day, I put stuff on the web. We make videos. We, we build TV studios. We preach the gospel. It's not that this causes apathy. This causes a fire in us. We are burning with the good news of Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. Find off with us. You don't have to believe this. Please don't believe it because I'm saying it. Please go home and ask God. Because that will be the quickest way you're going to come to this conclusion. Don't just believe me because I say it. Go and ask God and you'll see what happened. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for these people. Thank you for your vengeance. Burn over me all day, Lord. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you that as that woman saw the son of righteousness. Lord, I even, didn't even speak about that. With a, with, a, with a healing in the wings, talking about the pressure. As that woman had the issue of blood, she went and touched the hem, hem of the garment, the wings, and she was healed. For she knew that it was a day of vengeance and there was healing in those wings. And she touched the, the pressure. She touched you, Jesus. For she knew this healing within you. And that it was not right that she, having an issue of blood, would live outside. But that you've come to end that and brought acceptance to her. I pray for everybody here, Lord. And as we go, thank you for your power. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your goodness that goes with every man. Speak to every man, Lord. And thank you that you continue to speak to me. I'm humbled by your goodness, Lord. I thank you that as I preach here, signs, wonders, and miracles take place amongst people. People's financial problems are burnt away. Their sicknesses are burnt away. Their doubts, their fears, their unbelief is burnt away in the fire of your righteousness where you say, it is not righteous that my people are enslaved to sin and death and I will set them free. Thank you, Father. Amen.
Can we clap our hands for Jesus? Yeah.